She conquered hearts and ignited desire, a goddess of smoldering sensuality. Her every movement, the vocabulary of an exotic language. Ava Gardner, a small town girl whose dazzling allure thrust her to unimaginable fame. She became a seductive femme fatale who beguiled audiences and co-stars alike. She was an on-screen lover in want of real love. Her luminous beauty outshining all others. Sticklish business any way you look at it. Come on, we'll stick together. Welcome to Ticklish Business. As always, I'm Samantha Ellis. I am flying solo this week without Kristen, but today we will be talking about the legendary Ava Gardner as this is as this Christmas Eve marks what would have been her centennial. Luckily, I'm not alone as I'm joined by the fabulous Laura Stalker, member of the board of directors at the Ava Gardner Museum in her hometown of Smithfield, North Carolina, and she regularly works on TCM's incredible designs. Before we talk to Laura about Ava, we'd like to briefly remind everyone that if you haven't checked out our Patreon at patreon.com slash ticklishbiz, you should. We do additional bonus pods, including double features, looking at remakes, and based on a true podcast, looking at biopics and true crime. Right now, we're in the midst of our series looking at all of the Thin Man films, which is we also gave out regular care packages of movies and gifts, and we let you guest on an episode at patreon.com slash ticklishbiz. And don't forget to pre-order Kristen's upcoming book, but have you read the book, 52 Literary Gems That Inspired Our Favorite Movies, coming out on March 7th. You can pre-order that wherever you get books. Now let's talk about Ava. I am so excited for this. We decided to leave things a little open-ended here, but there are so many things to talk about when it comes to Ava's life and career. Right now, the biggest question that I have is... How did you get started on Ava? What really turned you on to her as an actress and as a glamour icon? I love this question, and I look forward to hearing your answer to it, too, once I finish. I am from North Carolina, born and raised, and was always aware of Ava. feel like she was always a part of my life. When I was a baby in the crib, my mom used to sing songs from Showboat, <laughs> which are not necessarily the most appropriate <laughs> little lullabies for a kid. Can't Help Loving That Man was a song I always knew. I love that. That song that was is so other, amazing. That's that was definitely one song. of my favorite Ava songs. So I was always aware of it. I was very close with my paternal grandmother. She loved movies, old movies, and she played the piano and was an artist. Always had great stacks of sheet music with old movie graphics on the cover. And she's taught me to play the piano. And I was just fascinated by the world that she grew up in as a young 20-something. A movie would come on television. She would say, oh, I saw this in this theater. I went to see this here. And I'm of the TCM generation. I'm a TCM kid. So it launched when I was in my formative years and was able to find that there was this whole community of other people, pre-social media and all that, but this community of other people watching these movies and getting access to these movies and having Robert Osborne tell me some wonderful little tidbit about a movie every night. I would sit around with my family at eight o'clock and I would say, mom and dad, turn the TV to TCM. Even if we don't watch the movie, I just need to hear what Robert has to say. I feel like there are a lot of us that were like that. Yeah, Um, I relate to that so hard. I have always lived in Eastern North Carolina, went to college in Eastern North Carolina. And so 
Ava Gardner smack in the middle of that in Johnston County in the town of Smithfield, as you mentioned earlier. It was just amazing to have this huge larger than life movie star basically from a couple towns over. I just was always enamored with her and interested in her career. And when TCM came along, that gave me an access point to be able to watch more of her movies, to get to know her body of work and to get to know the stars that she worked with and her peers. So she was always just around in a wonderful way. Then back in 2019, I had been a supporter of the museum for several years. They have a program called the Ava Advocates, where you can be basically a member of the museum and get free entry and other little perks throughout the year. And I'd always done that as a means of supporting the museum. And I would go to their special events and festivals. In 2019, I was just looking for another volunteer opportunity, something to do outreach-wise. And I was like, this museum that I love is just down the road. Let me see if they could use a volunteer. Got in touch with the director, and we hit it off immediately. I started volunteering. As you mentioned in my little intro, I'm a graphic designer, illustrator, and artist have a lot of background in working in the social media space. And I got in touch with the director and was like, could you use a volunteer in this area to help amp up your social media presence? Because I'm part of that community. I'm part of the TCM party and all these other little groups that are talking about these movies and can help spread the message and get the word out about the museum. And she was very responsive to that and very appreciative of that. And I started volunteering on some key campaigns. TCM was featuring Ava that summer under the Summer of the Stars, and then had been involved ever since. I started writing content for the blog. I come to this, the real hardcore classic film fans. (laughs) That's been a lot of fun to be able to work with these artifacts, to really get to touch things that Ava touched that were in her films, that were used to marketing her films, all kinds of things has been just an amazing experience and something I'm very grateful for and continue to be. I don't know if this whole hour is basically just going to be me gushing about the Ava Gardner Museum, but... I'll take it. (laughs) Exactly. Listeners, if you have not been to the Ava Gardner Museum, it is seriously amazing. I went on a road trip, and that's where my Ava journey started. I don't remember even what year I went. I want to say it was 2016, 2017. And it was really the highlight of this road trip. I was going from Florida to Pennsylvania. I just bought up all the books I could, all the movies I could. And I had definitely, obviously, heard of her before. I had been a classic film fan in the classic film community before I was really diving deep into Ava Gardner. But most of how all of that started for me was a little bit similarly to you, just on this opposite side of the coin. I grew up in Palm Springs, which is Frank Sinatra's stomping ground. I always heard stories about Frank and people who knew Frank. It's hard to have a story about Frank Sinatra without eventually hearing about Ava Gardner. So I did get some Ava stories on how they had these wild cat fights. Of course, you don't know if you believe all of that. Palm Springs people love to gossip, I'm sure if anyone from (laughs) Palm Springs. The other picture that I had seen of Ava early on, literally have the book right next to me, Entertainment Weekly's 100 Greatest Stars of All Time book has a picture of her from the Barefoot Contessa in it. And she's got that short pixie hair and she's wearing this bright yellow sweater. And I'll be honest, I wasn't super into that look at first. I thought that's how she looked all the time. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I like Ava Gardner, you guys. 
she's a little masculine for me. I swear I used to think this. And then I watched One Touch of Venus and everything changed. I heard her voice wispy it used to be in the 40s before it got really heavy in the 50s with all the I'm sure smoking and drinking but anyway (laughs) living life that one was really the movie that turned me on to her and from there I just gobbled everything up and as we talked before I'm now probably at about 20 there's definitely more I need to see on the beach is a big one I haven't seen yet seven days in May I'm getting there do you have the method to how you're watching them are you trying to be chronological or is As it is with a lot of stars, for me, it's about availability. First, before anything else, I found everything I could streaming. Whistle Stop is borderline public domain. So I saw that really early on. I had seen One Touch of Venus. There were a good amount to rent back in the day. She also kept popping in a lot of movies that I didn't expect her to. I don't know if you've seen this one, Hitler's Madman. She has an extra role in that, and I actually love that film. I watched it for Patricia Morrison, and then here you see this really young Ava Gardner in it, which was crazy. (laughs) Of course, you can go on IMDb, but we have our cool filmography on the museum's website. And it's wild just to scroll through it and be like, okay, where do you get to the killers? That's really what one considers her breakout role. You could argue that Whistle Stop really was because she got the killers because she was in Whistle Stop. But nonetheless... You got to scroll until you get to like the 46 because she was in Hollywood for five years and she pops up in a Thin Man movie briefly. So maybe you'll see her when you're watching your Thin Man movies. But it's wild to see all the stuff that she was in. And sometimes you have to really look. She's a car hop or she's in an audience or whatever. But yeah, she certainly paid her dues in those small bit parts because of being loaned out. MGM never knew what to do with her, even after they saw what she could do. They didn't totally know what to do with her. The bulk of her best work is loan outs or with other studios. It is fun to see somebody when you're watching something that you're watching for someone else and then be like, oh my gosh, there's Ava Gardner. And so (laughs) many of those early extra roles were so fun. I will Mm -hmm. say though, I wish she had gotten more famous faster, if that makes sense, because that pinup early 40s look that she had was so gorgeous. That whole time she was married to Mickey Rooney, how was she not a star then? Oh, it makes no sense to me. And especially at that time period and that age where she could have done a lot of lighthearted romantic comedy roles. Exactly. She went to the races. She's great. And One Touch of Venus. I wish she had had an opportunity because she was really funny. She was a really funny person in real life. Great sense of humor, love to laugh. And I wish she had had more of those opportunities. Although, I mean, I'm grateful for any film we have her in that we get to watch her perform. But I wish she could have had that rom-com period of time where she got to do a lot of those kinds of movies because I think she would have been really great at it. On the flip side, Ava was sort of blessed in the sense that Despite this crazy life that she lived, I feel like she aged very gracefully and Mm -hmm. stayed so long on screen, much longer than a lot of her contemporaries, which is so impressive. She actively worked for five decades. She could have worked more than she did if she wanted to. Once her contract ended with MGM and she really took control of her career, she worked when she wanted to. And And she had fallen in love with Spain by that time, too. So she was like, peace out, everybody. I'm good. (laughs) Exactly. 
And she had to be coaxed, even for something like Night of the Iguana. They went after her. They pursued her and were like, come on, please. It's meant, you're meant to be in this movie. And then she was like, okay, I'll do it. There's a common rumor about Ava, and we can get to more of those later if the conversation takes that turn, but that she struggled with money, that she didn't have money when she died, that Frank Sinatra paid everything for her. That's a complete fabrication. She always had plenty of money to live the life that she wanted to. And she left an estate when she passed away. She founded a trust in her name before she passed away that continues to this day. Frank Sinatra didn't pay her medical bills, didn't pay for her funeral, but she worked when she wanted to work, when she was like, okay, I want to do something. Let me go do this movie or let me go do this TV show. And she did. And she worked in every single genre you can imagine. She did musicals, westerns, period pieces, lighthearted comedies. She did thrillers and political dramas and literary adaptations. And of course, movies of the 70s, the disaster film. She really has a varied career and a varied filmography that there's really a little something for everybody in there, which is really neat. As much as I mentioned earlier, wish she had done more lighthearted comedies and I still do. I'm glad that she was able to do a little bit of everything. So you can see her in a cowboy setting and then see her dressed to the nines in a musical. She's got this breadth of a career. The breadth and the width of it is so crazy. When they only scratch the surface of Ava, it's usually the people that are really wanting to watch the noirs. You get Mm -hmm. the people who are so into the killers, then maybe you'll get the Barefoot Contessa, Whistle Stop a couple others. But a lot of those genre movies, a lot of those different ones where she got to test her acting ability and her range are kind of lost in the shuffle, which is so unfortunate. I need to come back and we need to talk when you've made it through the 60s. Because she didn't make a lot of films in that decade, but the one she made, Seven Days in May, I love. Of course, Night of the Iguana is. I have seen that. I love that one. That's my favorite. That's probably my favorite Tennessee Williams adaptation. And I really love that movie. I rewatched it not too long ago for a project and just was like, gosh, I didn't realize how much I love this movie. But you know what? It's up there for me. It really is. Cat on a Hot Tin Roof is hard to beat Mm -hmm. as much as they changed it. But Night of the Iguana, it is so good. And the cast of it was so Mm -hmm. eclectic, too. Richard Burton, he speaks for himself, but Sue Lyon is incredible. Oh, yeah. Anyway, we're going to go off on a tangent with that one. (laughs) Those movies and the ones on the beach was 59, but you sort of think of it as as her 60s period. Right. Those are really interesting movies and ending with... Tam Lin, which wasn't released until 70, but it was made in 68, 69 and was held back before it was released because of funding from the people who made it bankrupt. But those are such interesting films. Each one is such a departure from the next. In some cases, it's a smaller character role. This is something I've talked about a lot, and maybe you find it to be the case too. A lot of Ava's films, she may be the female lead, but it's not a huge part So she doesn't have a lot to work with, but what she does with that little part, the killer, she's not in that movie very long. In Showboat, she's only on screen about 30 minutes. That's such a good point. But you think of her, she's so prominent in all the advertising for Showboat. She's front and center. You would think it's her and Howard Kill having a romance if you just looked at the posters. Whatever screen time she has, she's so incredibly impactful. And her character resonates through the whole film. Seven Days in May, she's in an ensemble cast and she's only in three scenes, but she's fantastic in those scenes. And 
her character permeates through the whole movie and is referenced by all the other characters for the rest of the film. That's a real testament to the quality that she brought to the roles that she was given an opportunity to play and to her talent. I have to ask, though, what are, in your opinion, the Ava Gardner roles that cannot be missed? Ooh, Let's just well, start throwing them out. I totally hear what you were saying about the film noir people, and they stop with Singapore, with The Bribe, with Whistle Stop, and The Killers, which are all interesting, great movies. If you want to see touch points of her career, I would say One Touch of Venus is a fun earlier film. Definitely The Killers, you got to see it. You got to see what made the audiences really like, oh my gosh, who is this person? And that's another movie. She's not in it very long, but she does a lot with what she's got. I particularly love Pandora and the Flying Dutchman. I know that's not a film. I was just about to gush about that one myself. That's not a film for everyone, but I love that. I love everything about that movie. I love the production. I love the cast. I love how wild and fantastical it is. I love the costumes. That's a movie I can talk about for hours. Uh, and Carter's cinematography. Oh, yes. And arguably, she's never more beautiful than she is in that movie. She really I does agree. just make you gasp when you see her. And the director, Albert Lewin, who also wrote the movie, you can tell he just loves her and he wants her face to fill the screen as much as humanly possible. And it's just a really powerful performance in the current climate of gender conversations around relationships and dynamics, romantic dynamics. It's a very modern film in a lot of ways and the ways that she's trying to say, here I am. I know what I want. I know what I need. You guys aren't doing that for me. <laughs> you know, you're repulsive. Right. I'm trying to tell you to go away and you will not listen to me. So there's a lot that we could talk about with that movie, but that's one that I always recommend. It's such an interesting film and it's really out there in a wonderful way. I would say the Barefoot Contessa just because it's so well known in Magambo, Magambo particularly because her character, she just seems very free and comfortable in that role. She really inhabits it and there are parts of herself that come out in it. She was not a trained actress. She was an intuitive actress who really would mine her own life experience to imbue her characters with certain traits that she could connect with herself. And there's a lot of humor in that role and lightheartedness that comes out and playfulness that is very true to her. Not the Iguana for sure. I'm Absolutely. listing all of her movies. We might as well. We could just sit here yeah. and list all of Tam her movies. Tamlin is a, another wild ride. I would love to do a Pandora Tamlin double feature to just totally be a wild ride of two films. Priest of Love. She's I not heard of that long, one. But that's one of her later films. It's a really good movie. I wish her character had more screen time in it because I love her character and I love how she plays it. You get to see her older and she's just gorgeous. Like you said, she aged beautifully. She's herself. She's natural. She's Ava Gardner. You see her as Ava Gardner. That's one worth seeking out and watching. And it's later in the career. So you can see how she transitioned into more of those character or featured parts. I didn't quite list them all. <laughs> no, you know what? That's a fantastic list. I honestly agree with most of those. I would definitely also be putting Pandora and the Flying Dutchman right up at the top. Mogambo is such an important one. I don't like the movie. I'll be honest. <laughs> we don't like the movie here, okay? 
That being said, Ava is fantastic in the movie. It's, you like her. You like her. You just don't like the movie. You like Pretty her much. What really that. surprised me was the first time I watched it, I didn't appreciate Ava's performance as much. That's a movie that really grew on me with multiple watches. And I'm at the point where she's even better than Grace Kelly in it. She's very worthy of the Oscar nom for that one. However, I'm going to add a few films to the list here. Let me hear, let me hear. I definitely think The Great Center is always worth a watch. As a film, Greg really carries the film, but Ava's costumes are so pretty in it, and it's just a really good movie. And I love Melvin Douglas. Mm -hmm. Showboat, I love. It's definitely a little bit controversial now. Lena Horne should have gotten the role. I'm sure everybody back then also thought she should have. Ava, Ava thought she should have. Exactly. Ava thought she and they were great, great pals. So and I loved they talked about that. it often. I mm-hmm. loved reading that too. But Ava's voice is so good in it. And I love her costumes. Yeah. And I just mm-hmm. love musicals. That's definitely one of the ones in her filmography that I really like. I'll just add for anybody yeah. who's watching it. Make sure you seek out her original audio for that, which is on the soundtrack album, but was not in the theatrical release, but in the most recent Blu-ray that came out last year or earlier this year. They have at least the footage on the Blu-ray where you can watch it and you can find it on YouTube to watch her perform those songs and sing them with her voice and her voice she does a great job. Her voice is very I well think suited. She does a better job. If we're I being agree, honest. than Annette Warren, mm-hmm, for sure. They should not have overdubbed her. That would have been me like it angered her. <laughs> and I'm still angry about it to this day. I think that one, and then there are a few other songs in some of her other films you can find on Spotify in her real voice, which mm-hmm. I love listening to. I have my old Hollywood playlist, and she's all over it. But and like, she sings in Pandora. That's her exactly. real voice in Pandora. She is one that is really overlooked when it comes to the really good singers of classic Mm -hmm. Hollywood. But when it comes to acting, this is a bit of a crazy one. It's not one a whole lot of people talk about. My favorite acting performance of Ava Gardner is Bowani Junction, actually. Oh, yeah. It's a great one. So good in it. It's one that nobody Mm -hmm. talks about as far as, wow, this acting is insane. She really runs the gamut of emotions in that movie. She really does. And she got a BAFTA nom for that. So she did get some acknowledgement for that role. And she should have. And I'm glad that she's the TCM star of the month this month. And they're playing 26 of her films. And Bawani's one of them. So if you can't stay up late to watch it, DVR it and make sure you catch it. Because it's not one that you get to see on television very often. More of the big ones that we've mentioned play in regular rotation. But that's one definitely worth seeking out. And you see her at a point in her career where she has reached the pinnacle. She's been nominated for an Oscar. She's been the lead in all of these big productions. She's really getting into more international films. And that's the thing that doesn't get talked about a lot here. As big of a star as she is here, she is huge internationally. Her films did great business in other countries. So she's a huge star across the world. And that's a film in particular that is very popular in Europe, just like Pandora. It doesn't get as much resonance here, unfortunately, but it is appreciated in parts of the world. So I'm glad you mentioned that one. 
I would say if we're also making a list of what not to watch, I can't remember the name of it for the life of me, but there's a documentary out there, you guys. Oh. <laughs> you know there's the one. not the great ones. Yeah, I know the one. <laughs> I'm not a fan either. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it was a European documentary that was shown in her summer under the stars day. And I'm like, oh gosh, why? <laughs> What's important is that there are people around spreading the truth about you. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We're doing the work, the necessary work to keep the story right. We're going right back to the museum. Every star needs a museum like this. <laughs> For real. It, how is Ava one of the few stars that has a museum of this caliber? I mean, all of her things are so well kept. When I saw her jewelry, I freaked out. That's the biggest <laughs> thing for me always. I went to see Grace Kelly's jewelry and clothes mm. in DC, and I had an equally meltdown moment. It's always the jewelry that kills me. There was a really beautiful aquamarine ring that's there that mm -hmm. I love, but also they have the necklace that she wore to the premiere of The Snows of Kilimanjaro, which is another mm -hmm. great one that we didn't mention yet. Yeah. I love that movie. Really, all of her films with Peck, she made three films with him. We've mentioned them all. The Great Center yeah. was the first, then Snows of Kilimanjaro and On the Beach. And he was her favorite co-star. She was his. They loved working together and they had a fantastic relationship and great friendship that lasted through marriages, other partners and all that. But she was great friends with his wife, Veronique, and they just had a wonderful relationship. You can tell what a great rapport they had with each other when you see them together on screen. And it's really cool to watch those three films in order to see them young together, first working together, and how that relationship expanded and the depth of what they're able to bring on screen really, really does grow and is quite impactful by the time you get to On the Beach and you're crying. <laughs> or at least I am when I watch it. And you will too, when you see it. That's the biggest miss in her filmography uh -huh. right now for me. I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, gosh, I need to fix that one. I saw The Snows of Kilimanjaro finally for the first time. I want to say it was last year or maybe even early this year. Like what you're hearing? Then consider becoming a Ticklish Biz Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash ticklishbiz. Our Powell, Ava, Lombard, and Taylor level supporters this year made our six-week Being Elvis series possible, and we're preparing to launch six weeks of The Thin Man in December. We're also a quarter shy of hitting our goal of devoting an episode to the howler of a biopic, 1976's Gable and Lombard. Check out the Ticklish Biz community on Patreon at patreon.com slash ticklishbiz. Back to the show. I was just amazed. I don't know if it's public domain, but it definitely isn't really circulated around very much. So a lot of the prints I had heard were really bad, but somehow I found a good one. That makes all the difference. Mm -hmm. Their chemistry is just, whew, it's Absolutely. great. In that movie. She just has so many good roles. That's the thing. It's like impossible to even narrow down. Not to mention <laughs> her like singing career. Of course, there's her marriages. Well, she's one of those stars, and this is true for a lot of stars. You can pick any part of their life and talk about it endlessly. Her private life is fascinating. Her public life is fascinating. Her body of work is fascinating. The legacy that she's left behind in both the trust and the museum is really fascinating. So there's just so many entry points into learning more about her, reading about her. the books. There are a lot of great books about her. So there's just a lot of ways to find your way to Ava to learn more about her. And it may be the jewels that bring you in. It may be the costumes. But she's just such an interesting person. She has left such a great body of work of really independent, bold female characters. 
And I've had this conversation with several other people that I've been on podcasts or talked about or when we write about her in the museum to contextualize her work and help introduce her work to a more modern audience who maybe don't know her films or are just getting into her films. The way that she acted, the way that she portrayed her characters reads very current, reads very modern. She was not trained, as I said earlier, that she was an intuitive actress, that she had to source things from herself. And a lot of her characters are understated and they are ones that you watch the first time and you go, yeah, I like that. And then you watch it the second time and you're like, wow, she really brought some things to that. Just like you were saying with Magamba, the second so time true. you watched it's it. Like, right. As yeah. you're saying it, I'm starting to realize that's the case with a lot of her work. I think Killers is actually another really good example. Uh-huh, sure. I always watch Burt Lancaster in that, aside from the one scene where she's wearing the, the dress. Yeah. <laughs> but other than that, my eyes are on Burt. But the more you watch that film, the more you realize what a formidable and dynamic character she is. Mm-hmm. That's a good recommendation in general. If you watch one of her movies, give it a little breath and then try to watch it again if you can. That's how it was with me watching Pandora. I had to watch that for some work we were doing at the museum. We were working on an exhibit, a virtual program, and all sorts of things around that film, around the re-release of it that Cohen Media did back in 2020. I had seen it, but it had been a long time. And then I watched it and I was like, how did I not know this movie had so much going on? I watched it on repeat several times and come back to it rather frequently too to re-watch it just to brush up on it. But it's one that every time I see it, I find something new in the film itself, but definitely in her performance and what she brings to those characters. And I always seem to find something that's really relevant, which I enjoy about her characters and the way that she portrayed these women and the things that they were struggling with or the challenges they were facing or the tough decisions they had to make. She made tough decisions and bold decisions in her own life, her private life, that were not the norm, that were not necessarily popular, but she was seeking her joy and her fulfillment. And I find that really refreshing and interesting to learn more about and to read about and to write about. It's so easy to boil Ava down behind Frank Sinatra's shadow, but she was so her own woman. And something that a lot of people don't even realize is there was such a long period of time where she was way more famous and successful than Frank Sinatra. That really blows people's minds too when we talk about it. We did a whole series of articles and a virtual program about her three marriages. And we currently have an exhibit in the museum that have the more intimate side of those relationships that have some personal letters and other artifacts that talk about those relationships in a different way. And when we've talked about her relationships and we say when she got with Frank, Frank was dropped from MGM. He was dropped from his record label. He had lost his voice. He was struggling. And she had just made Pandora, Showboat, My Forbidden Past. She was on the cusp of 51 when they got married. She was just cranking out hit after hit after hit. MGM had finally realized, man, we have this great star here that we're underutilizing. Let's get her in all these great movies. Knows she made right after she married Frank. And she was the big star. She was the breadwinner. She was the one who was trying to help He was having a tough time and she was trying to be a supportive spouse and lift him back up and say, come on, you got this. She helped him get the role in From Here to Eternity that really repaired his career just like that. 
but it was her lobbying efforts that helped him get that role, get a test for it and ultimately win it. And that's forgotten a lot of times in the story of their relationship because people think of him today. And it's fine. Whatever gets you to find Ava, I'm all for. I love Frank myself. I love his music. I love his films. But she can stand on her own. And that's something I'm always an advocate for at the museum. We can talk about the relationships. And they're a huge part of her life that she herself talked about that meant a great deal to her. She had a great relationship with all three of her husbands and her other boyfriends. Who else can say that? She never took alimony from any one of them, despite what people may say in rumors. But you can talk about Ava entirely Ava and not mention those because her life was so big and so impactful without them. And I'm happy to talk about all of it because I love talking about all of her, the full scope of her life. It's really interesting to hear people not know that and be like, wait, she was the big star. She was the breadwinner. She was the one helping him get his career back. Yeah, she was. And she did all that. Not to mention, too, just as you were saying how she didn't really take anything from any of her husband's. Mickey Rooney, he was one of the biggest stars of MGM at the time during their entire marriage. He wasn't trying to help her career. He wasn't giving her these lead roles because she was married to Mickey Rooney. She was earning those roles for herself. That's what she ended up doing after they divorced. She ended up making a name for herself. It's so funny to listen to all these classic films fans looking back like, how did she end up with Mickey Rooney. What did she ever see in Mickey Rooney? I'm sure you hear that a lot at the museum. We did a virtual program that was the precursor to this current exhibit that we have called In Love and Marriage about Ava and her three marriages. Each of us took a husband and I took Mickey because I met Mickey when I was a kid and I got his autograph. He was doing a tour with his then wife, Jan, the one man, one wife show. And I got to meet him as a kid. And then I saw him on the TCM cruise. I'm a Mickey fan. I love my Mickey and Judy movies. I find myself having to defend Mickey Rooney and explain to people how they ended up together. And it makes perfect sense when you go back. It really does. And you see, she met him on her second day in Hollywood, coming from North Carolina, from a secretarial program, getting whisked away to this seven-year contract to the heights of Hollywood. And she was a movie fan and a music fan. And She knew these entertainers. And on day two, she's doing a studio tour and she meets Mickey Rooney as he's dressed as Carmen Miranda. doing (laughs) Which I love. I love that part. Braves and Broadway. And that's how they met. And he, at the time, the biggest star in the world, sees her walking around getting a studio tour and is like, wow. You just see him (laughs) doing like ogre eyes. He's blown away by her. And she's like, oh, hey, okay. Yeah, sure. Hi, Mickey. She's not fawning all over him. She's not bowing at his feet like other people may have been doing. I'm comfortable in my skin. I don't need you trying to make my way and take this opportunity. And he pursued her. He went after her. And then he took her to the greatest clubs. He took her to the greatest events. He introduced her to all of these musical stars that she loved. She met Jimmy Durante on their second date. She's meeting all these huge stars and he knew them and he wined and dined her and he went after her with everything he had. And you know, he was charming. You see it in his I'm movie. sure. I mean, How he could not? thing about Mickey that I feel like a lot of people don't realize is he would just do anything for a laugh. He was like the closest thing we had to like a human Roger Rabbit. 
That's a great way to put it. (laughs) Anybody in that situation would have definitely seen the good in him. He was just such a huge star and had so much pull. He was all that bad looking at the time. Not like people say. And you got to understand that Ava came from a more conservative community background, although her family was very liberal, open-minded, but she was one of seven children. All of her sisters and her mother got married at 19. Her sister, Bappy, who she was her chaperone, who gets written about a lot, is really a fascinating person in her own right. She was the one that got divorced and remarried and went off to live in the big city of New York and ultimately helped Avis get discovered. All of her siblings got married at 19. They married their first boyfriends. And her mom did the same. And so she went to Hollywood and she's 18 years old and she meets this huge star who's totally enamored with her, who's whining and dining or sweeping her off her feet. And every time they're on a date, he asks her to marry him. She ultimately is like, okay, well, I guess that's what my mom did. My sisters did. Why not marry the biggest star in the world? It It makes perfect sense. And she said, I'm not marrying you till I'm 19. (laughs) They got married in January. She turned 19 on Christmas Eve of December. I can totally understand why it happened, how it happened. But people have to turn back the hands of time and put themselves back in that mindset. Let's get back to, are there any rumors that we want to dispel while we're here? (laughs) We've been doing that a lot lately. As we've been covering people on the show, we talked about Joel McRae and Veronica Lake and what their relationship was really like. Was there anybody that Ava didn't like? Any director she didn't like working with or Um, that she loved working with? I'm sure you've read her autobiography, Ava, My Story. I always recommend that folks that are wanting to read more about her start with that. And she talks very openly and candidly in that book about some of the people she worked with, the challenges that she faced. She didn't have the best working relationship right off the bat with Joseph Mankiewicz or Humphrey Bogart in The Barefoot Contessa. But I recently rewatched that for the Ava Gardner Festival. We screened it. It's a really great movie and the performances hold up and the dynamic of their relationship on screen and the way it's directed. Whatever things happened off screen seemed to hammer themselves out by the time it got to the screen. This could take a whole episode, but she did have insecurities throughout her life and those were rooted large degree in parts of her childhood with some different things that happened to her. And then, of course, when she went to Hollywood, she was told, we can't understand you. you got to change your accent. You need to change the way you look so you look more like an MGM star. We want to pluck your eyebrows, fill in the cleft in your, your cleft chin and get her name out there and her presence out there and show what she could do. She needed a director that could make her feel comfortable, even joke around with her some like a brother or a sibling would. Not coddle her, but who could help her feel safe so she could then perform. That's where she had some issues with Joseph Mankiewicz. And then also with John Ford. John Ford did not want her for Magambo. He wanted Maureen O'Hara. He was not the greatest to her right off the bat. But then she showed him how good she could be. And he was like, okay, you got this. Any kind of animosity or difficulties in their relationship went away. She lots of times had to prove herself because she was billed as, which is the worst line ever, the world's most beautiful animal. I hate that tagline. Oh my gosh. But she was always put in this position of beauty first. And she had to show 
her co-stars, her directors that I may be beautiful, but I'm also all of these other things. And I can bring to these films something so much more impactful if you just let me, if you just make me feel comfortable and give me the space to do that. So when she had some issues with people along the way, it was for those reasons. They didn't quite understand how to bring out the best in her and give her that environment. But despite all of that, she still would find ways to do that on her own, even if it took a little more effort or a little more time to be like, okay, I'm just going to have to do this myself. (laughs) In terms of rumors, the big one that I mentioned earlier is the whole Frank Sinatra thing and money. I hear that that too. It's so infuriating. There's a lot of different sources for it and a lot of different ways that that's been written. But I'll just set it straight here. When she passed away, she left a substantial estate. The money from that, from having an auction, went into the trust. The Ava Gardner Trust still exists today. And it's a charitable organization that provides funds to the Ava Gardner Museum, to St. Jude's Hospital, and to Queen Victoria Hospital in England. She left money behind. She didn't need money. She had money there. What Frank Sinatra did do, she had a stroke in 1986, which led to a series of things that ushered in her declining health. And she ultimately passed away of pneumonia in 1990. There was a specialist that Frank wanted her to see. The specialist was in the States and she was in England living in her home in London and she didn't want to leave. She was like, look, I'm comfortable here. I've got great doctors here. Don't worry about it. I'm fine. I'm seeing who I need to see. And he was insistent. He said, I'm sending the plane. I've got you booked. You're coming. You're doing it. That's the one thing he paid for. He did not pay for her funeral. Her family and her estate covered all of that. If she needed money, how could she have left behind a substantial estate? It makes for a great story. It makes for a great story that this man loved her from afar and wrote checks without his wife's knowing about it and sent money off to his ex-love. It's just not true. The family have her financial records. So that also debunks that as well. That's not to say that he didn't send her nice gifts or she didn't send him nice gifts. We have a watch in the permanent collection that talk about Palm Springs. I love that one. There's a watch that says, description on the back is something like to desert nights. No telling what happened in Palm Springs. And you mentioned one earlier with regards to Mickey. Some people said at least contemporary reports were that Who's this young upstart that's marrying the biggest star in Hollywood trying to further her career? And of course, he, like you said, he did nothing to further her career. If anything, one could argue he hindered it because she had to come out of the shadow of that. And the other one that sometimes comes up working with the museum, we get contacted by a lot of folks who have stories or memories of her. And some of those are wonderful. And we love hearing all of that. Every so often, someone will say, well, My great uncle dated Ava for six months on and off. You would think that she kissed everybody in Johnston County and North Carolina. Her mother was very strict. That did not happen. Not that she didn't go on dates and have bows. Mickey Rooney was her first real bow. Certainly her first everything else. (laughs) People just talking about she dated this person and that person, this person, that person. She had a very full life. She sought joy and happiness and excitement. She wanted people to be around people that were interesting. She loved to read. She loved art and she loved music and food and travel. 
she sought out the zest of life. Other things get thrown in the mix that she drank here or smoked here or danced on this table. Or I don't know that any of that's true, but she had a good time. That's exactly what I take away from it, too. I've definitely heard some crazy stories about that. And I feel like people use that to twist all kinds of crazy, wild things she could have done. They make her out to be some sort of insane hedonist, which is so crazy. My last question for you is, what do you hope people remember about Eva? What do you hope in terms of her legacy? I hope that they watch her films and can see the complexities in her roles in what she brings to these movies, the quality of acting that she developed over time, especially if you watch her films somewhat chronologically and you see how much she develops and how much she really learns her craft and masters her craft. She was a very good actress Actors and actresses now can look at her performances and pull from those and see things in those that they can put into their own work. She was a very generous person. She was very kind and very loving and a very loyal friend. The people that were her close friends, Roddy McDowell, Lena Horne, Grace Kelly, Stuart Granger, on and on and on and on, not just stars, George Cukor, and other people behind the scenes, her close friend, Rene Jordan, Carmen Vargas, other people that are assuming way that were in her life. I was about to mention yeah. them also. She had just a cavalcade of people from different walks of life that meant something to her that she was very close to, that she kept a very robust correspondence with, and her family. She was incredibly close to her family, adored her family was always in touch and contact with them. She was just a really good person through and through. And she did things to be generous, to be kind without wanting to do it for a PR reason. (laughs) She was generous in a lot of ways that people don't know about. And that's been fun to find those things out at the museum and to write about those and to learn more about her away from the spotlight, from the glamour and the glare of Hollywood and to know that she was just a real person, like all of them are, but she was especially real and especially true to herself. And I just love how independent she was. You press, you want to write about me, say whatever you want to say. I'm going to live my life and I'm going to make the choices that are right for me, no matter how you may judge those. If I need to end this marriage because it's not healthy and it's not happy for either decision and do it because it's the right thing for me and my partner, That's just really remarkable to me, too, that she, time and time again, was so bold and fearless in a lot of ways. That's exactly how I feel about So many lessons to learn from her. I just find her endlessly fascinating. Not that people don't know her, but I just am always excited when people are discovering her, learning more about her, connecting with her in a lot of the same ways I do and in other ways that I've yet to. It's just wonderful. And I love talking about her and sharing more of her story. Just the centennial too, all of these events that are going on in relation to it. It's so great that they're drumming up publicity for her. More people are hopefully finding out who she is. On that note, we're good to wrap up. Is there anything you want to plug anywhere our listeners can reach you on social media? 
The Ava Gardner Museum is located in historic downtown Smithfield, North Carolina, Ava Gardner's hometown. So when you're in the area or passing by, or if you want to make a special trip, please come see us and take a tour, see some of the many amazing artifacts that we have on display, our new exhibits that we've just debuted in the last couple months. It's a wonderful place to visit and a great place to see and learn more about Ava Gardner. In addition, we have a really robust website, avagardner.org, where we post a lot of content. Our blog is also found there, and you can sign up for our newsletter. We're constantly adding new content to our blog and sharing more about the life, legacy, and career of Ava Gardner. So it's a great place to learn more about her and the collection of the museum. We're also on social media on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We also have a YouTube channel, and we're soon going to be on TikTok, hopefully later this month, if all goes as planned. Check out our shop, our gift shop. We've got some really cool items that are perfect for the holiday season. We're going to be posting quite a bit this month in conjunction with TCM's Star of the Month tribute for Ava Gardner. It's a great time to catch so many of her wonderful films. Follow along with us as we share unique artifacts from our collection, and we're sharing some videos and things that are really special and really unique. Follow the hashtag Ava100, and you can find out all the things that we've been posting and all the things we've got coming up so you can see how we plan to continue celebrating Ava's centennial well into 2023, her full centennial year. We've got lots of things in the works that we'll be announcing relatively soon. In addition to find me, my name can be a little tricky. It's spelled L-O-R-A-S-T-O-C-K-E-R, and that's how you can find me everywhere. My website, florastocker.com, and I'm at Laura Stocker on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Please connect with me and we can continue celebrating Ava Gardner together and celebrate all of the other wonderful film stars that we all cherish and love. Thanks again so much to the Ticklish Business crew for having me on this episode. I've really enjoyed talking about Ava. Look forward to coming back in the future and we doing another deep dive into her career in films. We could probably do about five Ava episodes with how much you and I love Ava Gardner. I think we should do at least five. Yes, a mini series. <laughs> And that closes out Ticklish Business for today. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Reviews matter, so leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars should do. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Ticklish underscore biz, as well as on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Ticklish Biz. You can follow me at Classic Film Geek on Twitter. You can find my blog at musingsofaclassicfilmatic.com. And you can keep up with my Cooking with the Stars posts over at ClassicMovieHub.com. Our Patreon help keeps the lights on at TicklishBizHQ and gives us chances to do new content like our latest Elizabeth Scott and Joel McRae episodes. So consider helping us over at Patreon.com slash TicklishBiz. And don't forget, Kristen's new book, But Have You Read the Book, is out March 7th, but you can pre-order it wherever you buy books. We'll return with a new episode over the holidays. See you soon.